Hello, and welcome to another edition of Great Takes Less Filling by the Daily Gopher. I am Chris, go AU Fur, and with me again is U Street. Hey, y'all. So, Michigan, that was fun and wet and wet and fun. Hey, speaking of wet, Chris, are you in fact a rain demon? See, I am getting tired of being held responsible for this. It is my friend Nikki's fault that it rained really badly on the two games that she came with to the games, and it's Andy's fault for the Michigan State game. I, I, I take no responsibility, despite my presence at all three games. Have you been to a game this season where it has not downpoured? Yes, Middle Tennessee State. It was glorious. Who did you go with? Andy. So why did you not unleash the rain during the Middle Tennessee State game? Were you toying with us? I am not a rain demon. It, it, this, is, this is entire, this is a false, this is fake news. You are spreading fake news about me, saying that I have demon-like qualities of a, of a water, watery variety. And that's just false. If I am any kind of a demon, it's some kind of uber cool, like, fire demon or something. Are you sure it's not because you just blocked out the sun and sneezed? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I blocked out the sun, but no, I wasn't sneezing yesterday, despite being allergic to the smugness of Michigan fans. When you hit your head in the clouds, does it hurt? <laughs> no, this is, it's getting to like lay your head on a pillow. It's wonderful. Michigan's fans are smug, but to be fair, their team kicked the crap out of our team, so not too much we can do about that. Before we talk about that thing that happened, I just want to point out some of the smugness. Their intro video literally has the phrase, we're the best university in the world in it. They hype up their fans by stroking their damn egos to an extent I've never seen. Like... Nebraska fans get stroked when they walk through and, oh, look, the archways tell us we're the greatest fans ever. Like, I'm beginning to, there seems to be a direct correlation between super smug, really annoying fans who haven't really actually won anything in a long time and the amount of ego stroking their athletic department needs to provide them. And Michigan is, is up there, let me, let me, let me tell you. Yeah, they're not great. Also, it's uh, objectively false, (laughs) the best university in the world. I know everyone who's listening to our podcast is aware of that, but I just wanted to make it very clear that that is definitely not true. Yes, it it is false. Um, All right, let's just do it. Let's just quickly talk about this game and the things that happened in it, because that's what we do here. Uh, Nectons of the week, it's going to be a tough one. For me, it's easy. It's Merrick Jackson. Why Merrick Jackson? Because when he sacked Brandon Peters and just like out of nowhere killed a guy pretty much legally and you know fairly, not the kind of way that Harbaugh would complain about. When when Mary Jackson did that, every amazing gif you've ever seen of somebody just going, oh snap, or jumping up and down, it was like all those things were distilled into one moment, and that was me in row 94, leaping to my feet. Because that was just damn the the michigan fans behind me the non-idiot ones there were some idiot ones we'll talk about them later the non-idiot ones were just like they were blown yeah it was it was a great moment um unfortunately it was singular and didn't actually involve you know us winning but that's my nectar of the week merrick jackson do more of that it was cool can i have the punter be the nectar of the week you can this is the big 10 man can i have the punter be the nectar of the week 
Big Ten Ryan football. Ryan Santoso had eight punts for an average of 48 and a half yards and a long of 58. His punting was glorious. And to be clear, that's a that's that average is being dragged down by that first punt, which was horrendous. It was like a 29-yard punt or something. Yeah, so he got a lot better. I suppose also you could say Blake Cashman, who filled in quite well for Jonathan Sullivan, had six total tackles, five solo, one sack, and tackle for loss. I thought he played very well. The rest of the defense, maybe less so. Maybe. But I thought he had a he had a reasonably good game. So if I cannot give the next of the week to a specialist, then it would go to Blake Cashman. But if I'm being real, the actual best player on the field yesterday for Minnesota was Ryan Santoso. And that probably tells you a lot about the game for Minnesota. Yeah, it was um it was I mean, this is another example of a time when I just made sure to set my day up to have other things to enjoy. Um, so that I, I did not have to rely, my happiness did not have to rely on the outcome of that football game because it was kind of ugly. Um, Michigan, uh, I didn't spend a ton of time in Ann Arbor, but I can definitely recommend Crazy Jim's uh, Blimpy Burger. Uh, it's a diner's, drive-ins, and dive spot. It's exactly what you'd expect from a driver's a triple D spot. It's uh, delicious and kind of odd which is perfect for Ann Arbor because, you know, that whole town has got its own weirdness thing going on. Um, and, yeah, other than that, you know, we, we just uh, kind of wandered around town and ended up, once we realized it was going to, like, rain and storm all the way up to the game, we, we uh, snuck down to the Ross School of Business because it was close to the stadium and had a Starbucks and a nice, comfortable atrium area and hung out there, watched football on the phone, had places to charge our phone. It was all around, just a great, wonderful football Saturday, right up until the point that we got run over by every single Michigan running back three times over. Yeah, it was really bad. They had a stat on the on the TV yesterday. Uh, I wasn't listening to the audio because Tim Brando was providing it, so I don't know what they said about this particular stat. But apparently the last time Michigan had two running backs go over 100 yards in a game was in like 1979 or something. Also against the University of Minnesota. I'm actually a little concerned about Michigan that that's never happened in that interim period. I feel like their rushing attack should have been better. It was. So Tim Bianca Patuka, for example, had 313 yards in one game. They just tended to not have two backs. They would have the one dominant back, and they would just eat all the carries. Well, that's just un- that's just that's just fascist. I mean. Where's, where's the demo- that's not democratic at all. You, sh- you got to give your you got to let your backs eat. Am I saying that Michigan is a fascist school? I'm not. Michigan not is fa- that. Michigan is fascist. No, I'm saying it. They should be they should be sharing the carries amongst their running backs instead. Fascism. It's not really even a public university anymore. The state of Michigan's basically defunded it. But remember, greatest university in the world. Stroke that ego. Yeah, 427 yards, 371 of those on the ground. Makes it seem like we were playing a wishbone team. You know what was really, really annoying about it was, is as you know, you're, you have the, the stats on the side of the scoreboard, and as the game gets more and more out of hand, the stat that took forever to catch up and look right was time of possession. Minnesota had this just insane, absurd time of possession lead because, of course, Michigan is scoring all their points through explosive plays of, you know, 50-plus yards. And it, it, it just, 
the the dis the disconnect there uh, was just too much, and it was just gnawing at my head. I couldn't. I was like, no, we need this to equal out. Like, <laughs> either we need to some, score some points and make it look right, or Michigan needs to start possessing the ball longer because also that will make me less cranky because they won't score seventy two points. Um, thankfully, Michigan just decided to do the latter and just you know stop scoring in two seconds. But yeah, Minnesota won the fourth quarter three to nothing. Moral victory right there. Yeah. By, by the way, I don't have a lot of understanding for people who are upset with kicking the field goal there as if that was raising the right, the, uh, raising the white flag. Um, sad field goals are totally sad. Like, it, it's super sad. But there's no message of quitting there. Like, I mean, we're down 33 to 7 at that point, minute 55 left on the clock. So that means we need to score 26. So three, uh, and then... You have to score four touchdowns. Yeah, you have to score four touchdowns or three touchdowns with some two-point conversions and a field goal and collect multiple onside kicks all in under two minutes. I mean, it's not happening. Like, And even if you score the touchdown there, you're not going to take the onside kick because you're not going to risk injury to your guys through an onside kick formation that does nothing. And if it's a player, the players are smart. The players aren't stupid. It's 33-7. to 7. They know they're not winning this game. They're not going to get a message of quitting because they want to trot Carp out there and let him get some practice in some less-than-great conditions. I mean, hey, that's a pet peeve. I'm, if it was like six minutes left, I mean, okay. I mean, technically the game is still definitely over. But at least then, like, you could have an argument that there is time to maybe do something. But pff, minute 55. Kick the field goal. Let it be done. It's it's not boggles my mind. I should note that I was told that the over under of this game was forty two. Oh, I mean, you can always get the conspiracy theory going that there was betting involved. I mean, so I I would much prefer it's that. Honestly, if I had to have a message, the message that I would take from that is Fleck was so furious at his offense that it couldn't even score against the second teamers that they felt they needed to trot out the field goal unit instead of trying to punch it in from three yards, which was basically his message in the press conference afterwards, which was that they couldn't move the ball in a goal line situation, at which point he'll take the points every time. And we know for a fact that that is not true because the week prior they went for it on fourth down. It did not work, but they went for it. Clearly, Fleck is willing to go for it on fourth down. I think certainly this season of all of his press conferences, and I have listened to all of them because, again, I get paid the big bucks for this blog. This is the one where he has seemed the most annoyed at his own team and frustrated, particularly frustrated with the wide receivers who could not get separation, obviously very frustrated with the missed tackling, very frustrating with the defense. He was not his usual elite happy self. And when he got to the point where they, someone asked him about the field goal, what he responded was just that. They couldn't, the offense couldn't do anything. I think what you're seeing in this game, I thought they were going to lose 17 to nothing. So they lost 33 to 10. Both teams exceeded my expectations. But part of the reason I didn't expect them to score any points is Michigan's defense is really good. That's the best defense the Govers are going to see all season, by a lot. And I know someone was going to say, like, well, Wisconsin has a pretty good defense. Maybe. Wisconsin hasn't played anybody. And also, Wisconsin's defense does not look that good. 
apart from the second drive where the Gophers did quite well, I don't. I didn't think there was a single offensive play the Gophers had yesterday where I legitimately thought they were going to get yards. Mm, the first drive was okay. They had they they got it going before they like stalled themselves real quick. But the big, I, I, in a way, I almost look at the first drive as being an ex, like a uh, second drive extended. You know what I mean? Like just I kind of tie the two together. Like once they got once they got through there, got the points. Michigan's defensive, you know, players and staff like got locked down, got got on lockdown and really, really, you know, closed closed the openings that Minnesota had exposed in with the edges and things like that. That's, I mean, to be honest with you, that was, I, I have two thoughts coming out. You mentioned the not separation. The one thing I liked about Harbaugh just going kind of base with his second string defense right at the end there on that last drive was it really, it, it showed that actually if the offensive line is able to create a pocket if 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 there's time for Demry to throw, and if the wide receivers get separation, it can look pretty good. Like Demry looked good on that drive. I'm not trying to suggest that that drive means something beyond, and to me, showing that the kid has the ability to do it. It's just all a matter of him playing to his ability sometimes. And I think a little bit yesterday, because I was pretty happy with how he looked overall, him having the people around him give him what he needs. I mean, even on the touchdown drive, outside of a couple, what was it, like two good pass plays, most of the rest of the time when he was dropping back to pass, we made things happen by him escaping a sack and then you know, scrambling for yards. That's not actually how you want to run an offense. You would prefer that your offensive line not get, you know, overloaded and blown up and, and not have your quarterback escape the third sack in a row to make good things happen with his, his legs. The other thing that I liked is, you know, albeit one of the wrinkles was extremely annoying, uh, the Wildcat stuff. They actually introduced a number of, of wrinkles and in, in new concepts, well, not concepts, but new twists to what they'd already been doing to the jet sweep, um, to the edge rushing, uh, things like that that were actually extremely effective early. And while they weren't effective long term because, again, it relied on Michigan not making changes and our passing game keeping, thing, keeping them honest, neither of which happened, um, they were still really nice to see. I especially liked the some of the jet sweep toss things they brought in. But the Wildcat, that just didn't work. I know why they did it. I mean, no pass game. They needed to come up with more wrinkles for the run game. But ultimately, that was just a that that particular one was ineffective. And of course, is is the one that everyone's latching on to as, you know, the world is ending schematic problems. Blah blah blah. Yeah, the Wildcat was real bad. Hopefully, they never run that again. I don't think you should run the Wildcat, period, unless the person who's the running back was a quarterback in high school and therefore could potentially throw the ball. But, of course, if you think about that, hey, if the Wildcat's only good, if you have a quarterback running it, don't run the Wildcat. Yeah, also a couple of the looks they ran, like they would have been effective if there was any chance that Croft might block. I'm not gonna, effective is a relative term here, but they would have been more effective if there was a sh, uh, just a shot in hell that Croft might block. But of course, they're not going to have Croft block. They're having him slide. Like they're being express, they're ex, uh, clearly expressly telling the dude to slide because they don't need him to get hurt, and that's understandable. But the way they were, you know, they'd run a they'd run a jet sweep action with Croft, and 
the guy making that action, either you need to have willingness to actually give him the ball, which they weren't going to do, or they need to have willingness for him when he's completing his motion to block the edge rusher who's crashing to take the obvious inside runaway, and he can't do that either. So basically you just left the running back kind of exposed. I get, I get why they wanted to do it. It was not effective. Uh, I'm not overly bothered that they went back to it in the sense that nothing else they were doing from an inside run game was going to work either. Uh, but it was completely ineffective and is unnecessary and doesn't need to come back. Just just run your normal ineffective in, inside run if uh, if you need something for to fill that role in the playbook. Yeah, if you got to, I mean, they were trying. The Wildcat actually was an inverted veer with the running back in the quarterback position, and that makes sense. I would much rather if someone has to get destroyed by Rashawn Gary, it be Rodney Smith, who's used to that and also has a backup as opposed to Demery Croft. The handoff, so the actual when they come together, that action was terrible. Not surprisingly, Demery Croft is not used to being the runner in that situation. He is supposed to go wide, and therefore he's probably not necessarily going to need to block, but you're also absolutely right. No one on Michigan was thinking like, oh, they're going to give the ball to Croft there. And I also agree with you that that's a bummer because I counted four new wrinkles, Wildcat inclusive, that they had in the first couple of drives that I thought worked really well. One of the ones that I actually quite liked was having the jet sweep go in motion, mostly to read the defense, and then come back the other way. That was my favorite one, too. So he had the head start. Uh, They had Philip Howard who had some success on that action. Rodney Smith had a fair amount of success on that action. And it's nice because a problem that the jet sweeps had in previous weeks when they run it is that the defense is not having to move backwards or they're not moving laterally. And so they're just following the runner and so they can close the gap. But motioning and then motioning back, early on especially, at least put some of Michigan's defenders in a flat-footed position, which is all you can really hope for with a motion. So I like that. They did a couple of run-pass options. Both passes to Phil Howard were RPOs. Demery read them well. I thought Demery, by and large, had a good game in the pocket when he was able to have a pocket. He might have gotten a little happy feet, but honestly, if Rashawn Gary and co. are about to destroy me, I'd probably get some happy feet too. Made plays with his legs, was willing to slide, willing to do things. Big problem is that no one got open for him. And Minnesota's offensive line is not very good. They competed really hard, which is that sort of wonderful way that you damn someone with a faint praise. But they competed really hard against the best defensive line they're going to see this year, the best front seven they're going to see this year. But they weren't going to be able to do that all game. If I had to criticize the coaching staff besides the Wildcat from a scheme perspective, I thought they may have wanted to do more swing passes, more quick hitters. I feel as if we're not really doing that, and especially if I compare it to Western Michigan, a lot of the passes to Corey Davis were either an RPO to immediately get him the ball or a quick slant. And Minnesota hasn't done that very much this year. I'm not sure why. It could be talent. It could be change. It could be just installing the system. I would have liked to see more of those concepts. But at the same time, And I should reiterate this again, Michigan's defense is the best defense the Gophers are going to see all season. Arguably, they're the best defense in the country. And so after those first two drives, the Gophers had five drives of negative plays. 
Yeah, that was that was a, a fun little game we played in the stadium, watching the total offensive yards count backwards um, until the fourth quarter. At a certain point, as we said at the top, you know, they got their butts kicked. At a certain point, if the other team's just really good, it doesn't really matter what you're going to do schematically. If your execution isn't there, it never matters what you're going to do schematically, which is true of the defense. Everyone's saying that Rob Smith's scheme was bad. It's not like Rob Smith's base scheme doesn't know how to defend an inside power run. The linebackers didn't fill their gaps. The people responsible for gaps didn't do their job. Rob Smith can't make people do their job. In the secondary, because of all the shuffling, you have players who are probably not supposed to be playing this season. What up, Justice Harris? Though, for being a freshman thrown in in his second game, he did better last game than he did against Iowa when he got picked on. But obviously teams are going to pick on him. They're down all of their good safeties. Kandari and Hattie Holly also didn't play yesterday, so they really only had Jacob Huff and Duke McGee to play the entire game. People were taking bad angles. John Celestine's elbow has been hurt all season. I think several of his early missed tackles were a result of that. I think that's why you saw Blake Cashman play the rest of the game. believe that's what Fleck was saying about it. But if the linebackers aren't going to do their job in filling gaps, especially in some cases when Steven Richardson and Merrick Jackson were just sucking up offensive linemen on doubles, there were the places there for the linebackers to immediately get into space, get into their gap, and make a play. They didn't do that. That's not Rob Smith's fault. That's the team's fault. Conversely, Michigan did not do a very good job, especially on the second drive, containing the QB scramble, as well as containing the outside runs. What changed? Well, Michigan player for player is better than the Gophers at literally every single position on defense. And those players started playing up to their potential, and Don Brown made some changes. Now, the changes he made weren't a completely new scheme. They're just a slightly different way to attack something, because the Gophers saw something on film. Michigan saw stuff on film from the Gophers as well. Rob Smith did adjust to it. Though, with that said, it's unclear to me why Michigan ever attempted a pass or an outside run yesterday, because every inside run was going for at least 20. Yeah, those drives got shut down when we were able to just contain on the outside, string them along, get a second tackler on them, you know, put it, put pressure on the quarterback. All those drives that stalled, stalled because of those things, as opposed to the inside run where they would just create a hole, nobody would fill that hole, and then you were left with, you know, bad angles and missed tackles that resulted in a lot of long touchdowns. But to be clear, Michigan was 4 for 11 on third downs yesterday. When the Gophers did their job on first and second and got Michigan out of schedule, defense did great. I don't think you can blame the defensive coordinator for the problems that you saw on Saturday specifically. Because that has not been a problem all season. They've had some problem with the edge, and they've adjusted to that. I think what Michigan successfully saw is the way the Gophers adjusted to the edge against Iowa and Illinois was something that they could figure they could exploit. And in those jumbo sets where everyone's responsible for a gap, if someone takes a bad angle, which you saw all night yesterday, you're going to have a problem. 
do I think that if we're still seeing the same stuff in like two years that I'm going to be real mad about the defensive coaching? Yeah. But I think this one, I think it's true about year one in general. What we're seeing is a fair amount of experimentation. The defense is much farther along than the offense, which has been true since 2011. So it seems as if the offense isn't moving as far. But the defense is also learning new things. They're not just learning new schemes, because at some point we need to stop infantilizing these players. They're Big Ten quality players. They're good. They know the scheme. They just didn't do their jobs in the scheme. Yeah, it... That actually, I felt like in many ways last night was a really good example of the limits of the idea of worrying about, oh, this is a bad scheme that's being run. Because Minnesota put on a clinic in two ways to show that it really comes down to execution at the end of the day, too. And defensively, it was because they were glaringly making errors, like the stuff that... Obviously, they've been coached not to do these things, and they didn't do these things last week or the week before. So, coaching is not magic; it doesn't override missed execution and bad execution. And then offensively, again, it really for me that last drive was a great, I think, personally eye opener. Some people, I think, might take the wrong lesson from it, like, "Oh goodness, we were able to do that. Why couldn't we do that earlier?" Yes, it was the second team defense, but still. And I, and I think the answer is, that is exactly it. When they don't do it, the why is the first team defense for Michigan is really good. And our offense has a number of holes and areas of development that are still required. But underlying that is still talent that is good enough to make the plays if the execution is there. And the problem is that even then, it's still clear that it comes down to individual execution because you had Demry throwing great balls that were getting dropped. I mean, Rashad still couldn't have asked for a better pass on that final drive. Dude just straight dropped it. That might have been the best pass that Demry's thrown all year. Oh my God, that was a great pass. Fantastic pass. And he just straight dropped it. Like, I made a joke when Tyler Johnson dropped that one in the end zone, but in all honesty, the dude got lit up. Like, he was pretty defenseless, kind of hanging in midair, and he got pretty well rocked and lost it when he hit the ground. That's going to happen. I, ideally, it shouldn't happen in that scenario when you're going for that touchdown, but I mean... Ideally, Croft throws that ball much quicker and with a lot more zip on it, because Tyler Johnson should not be jumping for that ball. True. I mean, because he, he, he left him hanging up in the air, but... And, and, and exposed like that. But I mean, so I mean, I, obviously I'm not actually really all that worried about that drop. But the fact is, is that, you know, even there, that was a, in that situation, a bad pass. And even with a bad, badly executed pass, there was still an opportunity for a score because he was given time and the receivers had space. Yeah. I will say, this is the last thing that I would say about Michigan, because at this point, I think we should probably be flushing this game. Everyone knew that they were going to lose. No member of our coaching or no member of our blog thought there was like a chance they were going to win this game. No. And I don't believe that anyone realistically in the fan base thought they were going to win this game. The way they lost is probably frustrating, though I would once again remind people that the other side are getting scholarships too and the other coaching staff are getting paid too. And sometimes I feel as if if the Gophers do badly, it's because... 
they were playing 11 on zero, and that's clearly not the case. But I will finally do this. The only part of the game yesterday that to me was unacceptable was Donnell Green, Donnell Green deciding it would be a really great idea to punch a dude in front of the ref. Yeah. Because, dumb in the moment, dumb in general, I understand you're losing by a lot, it's frustrating, you've been getting beat all night, you're going to be chippy. The Michigan player instigated it, and the fact that he wasn't thrown out of the game is absurd, especially in this world in which we have replay. <laughs> like I feel as if the replay staff, this whole, like, oh, you never catch the first guy. Every single play on the field is getting filmed. Just go look at who started it. Kick that guy out, too. But with that punch, the likelihood is he's going to be suspended next week. He's either going to be suspended from the conference, but far more likely Flex is going to suspend him. And Flex should suspend him. You can't punch another dude on the field. There are acceptable means of violence in football and unacceptable means of violence in football. That is an unacceptable one. But this also now means if Jared Weiler is hurt for any length of time, which seems reasonable, that the Gophers are now going to be in a somewhat challenging position of having to decide whether or not to burn Blaze Andrews' red shirt. And they should never be in that universe. Yeah, if if dude gets hurt and you got to burn it, that stinks. But dude throws a punch and you got to burn it. This late in the season, in a year where... I mean, look, I want to beat Nebraska. I want to beat Northwestern. I want to see Minnesota beat Wisconsin. I would love to see one win out of those three, two wins, three wins, whatever it is. If we do not do that, which is still fairly possible, I mean, not possible, fairly likely, I should say, um, that's going to stink, but, you know, it happened. This was a year a lot of things went wrong. A lot of things we that we kind of had hoped wouldn't be a problem turned out to be problems from the carryover from the, the program from the last staff. To burn a red shirt in that scenario because dude lost his cool is just insult to injury, honestly. All right, uh, wrap it up by making fun of some Michigan people. Uh, Michigan fans, for the most part, I actually had really good interactions with Michigan fans. It, you would be shocked, of course, I, I, I imagine, based on the location, but... Uh, those Michigan fans who decided to kind of hang out in the Ross School of Business uh, common area were not super drunk, belligerent uh, jerk-offs for the most part. Apparently, the uh, women using one of the restrooms were puking everywhere. My friend ran into that. Uh, but for the most part, everyone was chill and, 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 you know, we had some good conversations, mutual, making fun of Ohio State for the Iowa loss, blah, 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 blah. Um, in the stands, for the most part, in our, given that it was mostly Minnesota fans, not too bad. But we had a pair of dudes behind us who were the epitome of the dumbest fans I have ever met. I would picture, try to imagine 40-year-old guys who, if they were playing softball, would be the guys going hay batter, hay batter, hay batter, swing batter, all game long, nonstop. Because that's what they were doing only in a football context. It would be go blue, go blue, go blue, go blue, woo! Go blue, go blue, go blue, go blue, woo! Like, I'm not kidding. That literally happened. Uh, followed up with things like where they would just say a player's name 27 times in a row, followed by do it, 
followed by come on followed by whatever else that went on for a half thankfully thankfully those guys got bored or flashed up and passed out in the bathroom or I, I don't know what they weren't back in the second half which allowed the sane Michigan fans around us who just wanted to ask questions about who's that dude can you tell us more about this you know blah 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 like just wanted to interact about football those people were cool uh, but damn I just I hadn't met 12 year olds in a 40 year old body from a cheering perspective in a while, and I was just reminded about how terrible they are. So by Michigan, you are not the greatest university in the world because you allow those guys into your stadium and then claim to be the greatest university in the world. The greatest university in the world wouldn't do that. Uh, regular old universities, like everybody else is, um, who have flaws that include fans who are that stupid, you know, they get a pass because they don't claim to be the greatest ever. But Michigan... You failed. You failed. You were no longer the greatest university. You weren't to start with, and then you failed and are definitely not now. So that's my slightly incoherent rant about the two dudes who just really sucked at cheering. They weren't good. They were very they, uh, very bad. Very bad. Well, I think we should probably end on that. And with that, I'm giving myself the nuclear hot take of the day despite my incoherence. As always, present to you by Fallout 4. Um, yeah, let's just flush it. Street's right. Flush this game. Move on. It's chair week. Chair week is what matters now. Not even, I mean, don't even get hung up on the win-loss thing because, let's face it, we're kind, of, we're kind of at a rough point in our year. Uh, but the chair. There, there's, there, there's a chair event at Stubborn Earths on the 9th. Um, we're going to have information about it. Continue, if you haven't yet, to, to pay attention to do some uh, work with the $5 Bits of Chair charity, uh, the fundraising arm for the, that benefits Team Jack uh, on the Nebraska side and the Masonic Children's Hospital at Minnesota. Keep an eye out for that stuff. Get, in the, get, get involved with that. Have fun with that. Make your week about something good uh, versus worrying about the Michigan game and, and something that we should just flush and move on. So, Street, any words of wisdom? For the masses, as we close out, today's great takes less filling. The chair is a more attainable trophy than the jug. Truer words were never spoken. Go Gophers. Skyima. Row the boat. Go Gophers. Row the boat.